some of the helpful tools from the nutritionist when, you know, the, what felt safe and comfortable or like having cups of dry cereal or, you know, if those are my safe foods or whatever, that made me feel like I wasn't going to gain weight or could keep control on things. So she taught me how to measure food. And for me, then measuring cups kind of became like that safety net or feeling like, okay, if I know exactly what I'm putting into my body, this will help me know it's not going to like spiral out of control or I'm going to gain too much weight or anything like that. And so for a good long while in the recovery process, measuring and focusing on what I was asked to do as far as I need to have this much protein, this much fat, this much carbs, it was something I could focus on, but it was a healthy focus. Now, like learning how to feed my body. If you're an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you're in the right place. Runner Click presents The Passionate Runner with your host, me, Whitney Hines. Hi, and welcome to episode 16 of Runner Clicks, the Passionate Runner podcast. I'm your host, Whitney Hines. I'm a lifelong runner, a certified running coach, and a founder of TheMotherRunners.com, a resource for moms who run. And today we get to chat with elite runner, mom of three, and a dear friend of mine, Gina Rouse. I wanted to have Gina on, not just because I love her, but because she's responsible for inspiring so many people around her to take up running, believe in themselves, and take on big running goals. And so I think she may do that for you too. Gina is also one of the most motivated people I know. She has the ability to endure a lot of pain, to perform. And so in our conversation, she talks about why she needed to take a break from running to overcome an eating disorder, how she manages to stay tough and dig deep in her workouts, and what keeps her inspired to chase big goals in her 40s. She is also incredibly humble, which I think you will see. Okay, a little bit more about Gina. Gina Rouse has over 20 years of experience at the highest levels in the running world. As a competitive athlete, she first met success at the scholastic level as a state champion and multiple-time all-star performer at Farragut High School in Tennessee. She parlayed this success into a college scholarship to the University of Tennessee Chattanooga, where she became a Southern Conference Runner of the Year while winning individual SOCON titles in track and cross-country. Gina has continued her success into adulthood after beginning a family. As I said, she's a mom of three girls under the tutelage of Bobby Holcomb of Knoxville Endurance. Bobby is also my coach as well. She joined with Bobby in 2013. These achievements have included four straight Knoxville marathon victories from 2016 to 2019, countless victories and top five finishes at distance from the mile to the marathon across the region and nation culminating most recently with the 31st place finish at the 2020 U.S. Olympic Marathons Trials with a PR of 238.41. If you are familiar with that course, it was hilly as all get out. So 238 is just astounding. Agina's running resume includes other impressive PRs of a 16.31 5K, 34-42 in the 10K and a 116 in the half marathon. She's also a running coach at Knoxville Endurance. And Gina is a top 40 women finisher for both the fall and spring Boston marathons. Okay, we are going to get to our interview with Gina after a short message from our sponsor, Runner Click. 
If you are an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated, and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you are in the right place. RunnerClick presents The Passionate Runner with your host, Whitney Hines. Hi, Gina. Hey, girl. (laughs) It's funny that we're having this conversation via computer when we live like a half a mile away from one another. Yes. And we were just training together yesterday morning. Yes. In person. (laughs) (laughs) So I was thinking like, I'm like, well, this will just be like a run, a conversation like we have on our runs. Absolutely. You're the best question asker. (laughs) Oh, you're sweet. No, you're the best listener because I feel like it's free therapy when we run together. Yes, that's the best about running and training together. So how was your workout this morning? It's so humid. Oh, man, I think I put on my Strava post. So this is what altitude must feel like. I mean, it was super muggy this morning, right? I yes. mean, like, did that affect you, you think? 100%. I think someone, I started early at like 5 a.m. And the other gal that I was with said she saw it was 84 degrees and like close to you know, not some 90% humidity. So it was insane to be that warm already at that time of day. And so anyway, yeah, definitely impacted the workout. I had three by 5k this morning in my base phase. So just kind of getting some workouts rolling and it was tough. It was tough to try to stay where it felt like marathon effort as opposed to kind of progress marathon effort, half marathon and then whatever was left in the tank. And I pretty much just stayed steady on all three sets. So at least I didn't totally fall off the back of the truck, but. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. So did you run mostly by perceived effort or did you have a pace that you tried to stick to? Yeah, my coach had like a range. He said to start around 615 pace, which is he's kind of working on this new method of doing things slightly off of marathon pace, slower than marathon pace to try to widen our aerobic base. And so that in conjunction with the weather this morning, he said 615 would be a good range to shoot for. And so the first set was around 615 pace. The second was a little bit more aggressive. I had someone with me and I was kind of, you know, feeding off of them. So that was closer to six minutes pace. But with that humidity, like the chills come and your heart rate is just like, you know, climbing so high. And I had like a three minute, three or four minute, I took a little bit extra recovery in between just to try to get reset in between each 5k. So the last one was really just kind of hanging on to, I was waffling between six minute pace. And then I'd slow down and have like a, you know, 620, 630. And then I'd come back and finish with a 610. So all in all, the weather and everything considered, it was a you know solid day. But oh my goodness, on paper it doesn't look that awesome because it's not like flying, you know, according to the goals that are at hand. But still a good day to put it in when it's super hot. This was definitely of all the years I put into this sport. Today was like top five, one of the toughest mornings. So oh really? Oh wow! Yeah, for sure. For sure. And you're in base phase. Yeah, <laughs> I know this wild. <laughs> What's to come? So that was like a total of what, like 14 miles for you today? Yeah. And then I'm getting like a 15, 15 mile miles. Day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Three up and down. Mm-hmm. And then do you have a shakeout this afternoon too? I'm going to just be done with 15. <laughs> <laughs> I, my daughter's doing a track this summer. So if I can go on her 10 to 15 minute run this afternoon, that'll be awesome. 
Oh, okay. I love that. I love that yeah. she's doing that. That's great yeah. that my kids aren't necessarily interested in running. <laughs> they don't quite understand it, but yeah, maybe that's they'll okay. catch the bug. Maybe they'll catch That's totally fine. I'm not going to yes. push them. Okay. All right. Well, so now that people kind of have a little window into your day, as far as your workouts go, I want to step back and we can hear Stuka barking in the background. I know. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. She's protecting the house. <laughs> There's some worker outside. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. So I want to backtrack and first talk about how you got into running in the first place. Gosh, that seems like a lifetime ago. It kind of was. My dad was running way back a million years ago. He was like a hockey football player and wanted to just kind of get back in shape in his older adult years as a parent. And so... I would say, dad, let me tag along and couldn't even make it, you know, a mile, but it was fun to go out in some runs with my dad. And then in middle school, I had a friend ask me, Hey, let's go out for track. I didn't even know what track was. I really was not an athletic kid in elementary school years. In fact, I hated dance. My mom would have me do dance and she'd, I'd have to wear these stupid leotards and they'd like <laughs> stick to my skin. And I was just like, no, can't do this. We need to dig those pictures out. Oh my word. It was (laughs) awful. And so I tried track my sixth grade year and I found out I was definitely not made out to be a sprinter as I would come in dead last in every hundred meter dash that we had. But seventh grade found cross country and within like a matter of weeks, I was hooked thinking, gosh, this is so fun to be out here. I feel like I can really do this. And so from then on, I just kind of tucked, put my head down, tucked in behind the eighth grade girl that was ahead of me and just sort of did what she did. And it's kind of been my, you know, method of operating since then. Except you have nobody to tuck behind. (laughs) You're in the lead. (laughs) No way. No, we're fortunate living in Knoxville, Tennessee, that we've got so many awesome female athletes and guys too in town that we can tag along with. So we have a really great running community in our area, which is super helpful and fun. So you excel in high school and you go on to run in college. What was your college career like? My college career was quite challenging. I developed an eating disorder my senior year in high school. I think some of us are just predisposed to that type of mentality and personality, semi-controlling and perfectionistic. And, you know, this is not uncommon to distance runners and other female athletes, But the pressure of going for a scholarship and making great grades and going away to school, I think it was just a lot. And I had had an injury my senior year and what started out with trying to just, you know, sort of lean up and get fit and in shape for my my last track season, the, the intentions there were pure, but then things just kind of unraveled and sort of spiraled out of control. So I was transitioning into college in my freshman year and I got this like full ride scholarship and yet I'm like, starving myself to try to meet all the expectations. And so out springing out of that, I had multiple injuries and just a really hard time kind of overcoming and coming through that. But fortunately I did. And by my sophomore year, I really sort of had things figured out through working with a counselor and working with a nutritionist and all of that combined really sort of set me up to have a a decent college career. It wasn't anything stellar, but I was able to be a conference champion a couple of times and graduated with my nursing degree. And, but then after college, I really just needed to have some time to sort of step away from the sport and not be so identified with eating, sleeping, breathing, 
running track and cross country. And so most of my 20s coming out of college, I was just kind of like a normal girl. I would go to the gym a couple of days a week. I might do a spin class. I might go for a three or four mile run, but it's really kind of time in my life where I was not identified as a, as an athlete. And while it was a really super tough transition, it was really great to just be a normal person for a while. So a lot of people that struggle with eating disorders have a tough time. Like it's always there. Like even if you recover, you still battle those thoughts. For those listening, like what has helped you kind of keep it at bay? So for me coming out of it, some of the helpful tools from the nutritionist when, you know, the, what felt safe and comfortable were like having cups of dry cereal or, you know, if those are my safe foods or whatever that made me feel like I wasn't going to gain weight or could keep control on things. So she taught me how to measure food. And for me, then measuring cups kind of became like that safety net or feeling like, okay, if I know exactly what I'm putting into my body, this will help me know it's not going to like spiral out of control or I'm going to gain too much weight or anything like that. And so for a good long while in the recovery process, measuring and focusing on what I was asked to do as far as I need to have this much protein, this much fat, this much carbs, It was something I could focus on, but it was a healthy focus. Now, like learning how to feed my body. And then in counseling, we would work on, you know, issues of, okay, why do we feel like we have to resort to controlling what we're eating or not eating versus like finding another more healthy way to cope with things in life or, you know, just loosen the grip on all of that. And so I think all of that in combination with having a strong faith and a really great support team, like having parents that were involved. They did not turn a blind eye to the issue. They were involved. My dad would call me. They still sent me away to school, which was really great. I don't know that I would do that with my daughters now. Being like, <laughs> I just want to like hold them and protect them. But they knew that like, okay, we got to let this kid go to school. So I think as a parent, like super hard to let your kids go to school when you know, go away to school, when you know they're struggling and suffering with something. But, you know, my dad would call me from home. And I, it's just real super pivotal to have a dad be involved in a daughter's, you know, that special dad figure in your life, reach into that, that really, you know, deep in your heart and soul and mind struggle, I think was a big deal, probably a bigger deal than I even realized back then. But looking back on it, I'm just so thankful that he took the time to say like, Hey, how are you doing? How is this going? Do you feel like you're getting better? How can I be there for you? So anyhow, kind of fast forwarding that time going into my 20s and sort of like stopping the identity with, okay, my self-worth is attached to what my body size is or my race times or how much mileage per week I'm running or, you know, all the number Mm -hmm. of things that we use to kind of like make ourselves feel good about ourselves. It was really hard to detach from that in my 20s after graduating. But once I was like, okay, with so in nursing, I ended up having to have a night shift job. And while that was super tough, it was probably one of the best things that happened to me because I could not literally physically could not work 12 to 14 hour night shift hours and then also go train like a collegiate athlete. And Mm -hmm. so it sort of forced me into not doing it, which was really what I needed. And so... I just became a normal person and gained some weight and it was fine. It was all like, okay. And yes, I was aware that that was happening, but I was going on to grad school and had other things going on in my life. And so it was just really like 
a refreshing sort of grounding and whole time, like a time to really develop as a whole person. So that then in my thirties, when I had this like second wind or whatever to my running career, I've just was kind of rejuvenated to come back to it with much more like self-security, much more mental, like fortitude and wholeness as a person where I didn't need that attachment to that identity. Not that I'd never struggle with finding I think we all from time to time can struggle find, trying to find our identity and things like our accomplishments and achievements, the things mm-hmm. we do. And those things, you know, somewhat define us. And so, but just being able to be okay, just being myself. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, like how learning to let go and face your fears of not being defined by accomplishments, numbers, gaining weight and realizing that like, People We're still okay. love you. Yeah, you're okay. People still love you. Nothing really changes except for the fact that you're less afraid. Yes. And I think that's been a big theme all through it all, even now in my 40s. I mean, that's I'm like twice that age now and still at the like peak of my running career as far as times and goals and achievements and just still remembering that like, okay, this is not... I'm not defined by how this workout goes or doesn't go or the body size that I have today. It's been good. And just that common theme of the fear, like facing, okay, what am I afraid of? Like sometimes I'll even stop. So facing, stopping sometimes when I sense that I'm like starting to get this like control vibe going on, this sort of obsessive compulsive and like just stopping in the morning time, like in my prayer time and reading time, like, okay, am I afraid of anything? Like, what am I afraid of? And even just writing that down, it can be like simple yet so profound to just name. This is really what's under the surface is kind of what's like driving me to do a certain thing or not do a certain thing. And then just dealing with that. And if there's like some sort of thing that might be false, then just saying like, okay, this is not true about me. Like I might be feeling less than or whatever, but that's not the truth. The truth is you know, and replace what the lie is or the fear is with what's really happening. Like, well, I'm really valued and loved and enough, regardless of whether I nail this workout or not, or whether I meet my goal or not. And this is just like added bonus to have this thing in my life. Oh, I love that you do that because oftentimes like we, it's a knee jerk reaction and we don't even realize what is at the root of why we feel like we need to control. Like why for me, it's like, I feel like, oh my gosh, there's clutter everywhere and I just have to binge, like get rid of everything or purge. (laughs) I mean, purge everything in the house. And then it's like, I just need to pause and okay, what is really stressing you out? Is it really the clutter or is it something else? Yeah. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I could go on about that. It's the fear of, oh no, it's all going to pile up and become a snowball and it's going to be more than I can handle. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. And it's like, it represents what you're feeling, but it's not, I mean, yes, you don't want all that stuff, but it represents how you're feeling with everything else that's going on in your life. Okay. So you step away in your twenties and then what lures you back to competitive running? So I had a former, a college teammate reach out. They needed some pacing help for a marathon. And I had just had our first baby And this marathon that she wanted me to help pace was like seven months from 
when she was born. And so she calls me and she's like, Hey, we need some help. It's not going to be that tough. You know, you've done one marathon. I did a marathon in my twenties, like during that time away from being competitive. And she was like, Oh, it'll be close to that. Don't worry. It'll be like, you know, seven thirty or eight minute pace. You'll be fine. Just do a few long runs and you'll be good to go. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, if I commit to this, I know this is not going to just be, let's go pace the marathon. This is mm-hmm. going to turn into something more than that. Just like knowing my personality and just, it was just that little carrot that I needed dangled of like, Hey, this would be an awesome time to just like go take another whack at it. Like now I'm a mom, I've got a kid, which female athlete having a baby. Wow. Talk about like <laughs> jumping in on all the control you think you have over your schedule and your routine and oh, what you yeah. do with your life. And then you have a baby and you're like, uh, what just happened to my life? Like, who am I? Where am I? Can we return to the like regular program? <laughs> right. Yes. Everything's out of your control. Yes. Yes. Which has been the most beautiful, like undoing, like unraveling of all of that, like tightly wound part of me, like having three daughters has just so like broken that down in a great way. It's so uncomfortable at times. Cause I want so bad to be like all the ducks in a row, but it's so wonderful that God uses the kids to help us get over ourselves. That was a rabbit trail, but that's like really at the heart of a lot of it. Right. So. Yeah. 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 Keeps you honest. Don't take things too seriously. Yes. Yeah. All of it. Yes. Like don't freak out when the milk is spilled everywhere and you're like trying to get out the door for the run and the painter right. shows up and whatever. So <laughs> <laughs> anyhow, yeah. So we did, I did that pacing marathon and that was a blast and it was totally like, the carrot was dangled. Then I like totally bit the fish hook because like the experience was amazing. And it's so exhilarating to finish a marathon, no matter what time or place you finish, like it's just such an awesome accomplishment. And so I knew like, oh man, this is going to be a thing. And then my husband who also likes to run, he's a surgeon and has a very demanding schedule, but he also has quite the accomplishment list of marathoning mm-hmm. as well. And So he signed up for a marathon and then we found out we were pregnant with our second child. And then right after she was born is when I hired a coach. It was the same coach that my husband was using. And we have now been working with him for almost a decade. And it's just been an awesome ride, ups and downs and tons of successes and some failures too, injuries, sicknesses, setbacks and Olympic trials and now here we are trying to go for it again. And now we're, now I'm a master's athlete. <laughs> right. I know. And so Matt's your husband, obviously. Yeah. Was he, did he take a break as well? And then you guys both kind of dipped your toe back in the water. Um, yeah. So he was a very talented high school runner. He could run like two flat for the 800 meters. Wow. Um, yeah. So he's pretty speedy back in his day, but he was very academically inclined and decided that he was going to go the pre-medicine route in college. He considered trying to walk on at the University of Tennessee, but ended up being diagnosed with a bicuspid aortic valve. It's ironically the same thing that Steph Bruce has discovered that she has. Yeah. I did not know it was the same thing. Yeah, it's the same thing. And so that was tough for him to take because they, the doctors at that time said, hey, you know, you probably should not be doing competitive running. And so that sort of steered his path. So he went uh, more to the academic route and other social things in college. But having had that experience of being diagnosed with the heart condition really opened his eyes to medicine. And that sort of sealed the deal that, 
yeah, he was going to go into the medical field. So he ran some in college and did a ton of other like rec league type sports and really had a great time in his 20s. Sometimes I say, man, you had way more fun in college. And I loved my experience as a collegiate athlete. I would not trade it for the world. The memories and the experiences I had were like just golden. But sometimes I tease them and I'm like, you had way more fun in college than I did. (laughs) Because I just like (laughs) totally took myself way too seriously. And it was just like all about the you know, being the best athlete. And he had a great time and then went on to medical school and which is like totally life encompassing. There's like no time to be even breathe when you're in med school. But we met at the hospital. I was working the labor and delivery floor and he was doing his obstetrics rotation. And so we met and so many of our dates early on were meeting up after our shifts at the hospital and going for a run, like a four mile run and then grabbing supper together. But And he's kind of a quiet natured person, sort of an introvert. But man, when I got him out running on the green waves, he would just become a chatterbox. So it was a really great way to get to know him. He would just keep talking. So we just ended up running, you know, a lot together. So anyways, we both kind of got the bug, I guess, at the same time after having kids, which is unique to parenthood. And just again, why there's this thing that after we have children, we just sort of get renewed, this renewed focus to, you know, go after something that's outside of our role as a parent and outside of our careers, working moms and working dads. And, and so it's just been so fun to be able to like share that recreational bond with my husband too. So how do you guys make it work? Because he's a surgeon, you have three kids there was a time when you guys were both running like a hundred miles a <laughs> yes. week. Like, I mean, how in the world do you, I mean, is it like yes. you have 36 hours in your day and not 24 <laughs> or you only need two hours of sleep? Like, how is that humanly possible? You guys have to be a well-oiled machine. Well, it takes, you know, delicate communication for sure. And a lot of help outside. I mean, we at times had help outside the family. We've had help inside the family. Like, so, you know, you lean on each other as much as you can and try to say like, hey, I know you've got to go to work at this time. So you take this hour to go work out. I'll take that hour to go work out. I'll feed the baby at this time. You get her back to sleep. I'll go run. Then you get ready to go. So it's kind of like a relay. And then when there were times that like it just was the training was more than we could balance together, then we sought out help with a nanny. And we had this great gal that's become a dear friend to us. And she would come even like early in the morning and keep the kids, watch the kids just be at home while they were sleeping so that we could both go out and do our track workouts or whatever the day's schedule had. Sometimes that meant treadmill running. A lot of times it was grandparents stepping in to help over the weekend. They would keep the kids for us for a few hours and we'd go train together. But most of the time it has turned into he keeps the kids, then I keep the kids and we sort of alternate which is difficult because we, you know, shared that bond and that was something that we had together. And then when, you know, we, when kids entered the picture, then it was like, okay, now we have to like juggle this back and forth. Oh yeah. I can probably count on two hands the times that Jake and I have now run together since becoming parents when before that was what we did all the time. We ran, we did destination races. We did that all the time. And now, Yeah. So did it take, I would imagine it took some evolving to oil that machine and get like, figure out 
your rhythm. Oh, yeah. And I would really love to just share some of the snags in all of it too, just because like, I want you to see like the real, how it really is. So like our our oldest now, she's 11 and a half. And now it's wonderful. She's like at the age of babysitting. And so she can keep the younger two sisters for me and I can run in the neighborhood and they can call me on a phone if they need to. And so that's wonderful now. But when she was like three or four, you know, able to talk, probably four years old. And my husband would come home and he'd say, well, I was planning on running. And I'd say, well, I was planning on running. And here we go kind of getting into it. And it's like, fine, you go. No, 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 you go. And so then we're like in this argument back and forth. And then Mm -hmm. here comes my like sweet little preschooler. And she's like, okay, guys, here's the deal. Mommy, you're going to (laughs) go first. Get your shoes on and go out the door. Daddy, when she gets back, you're going to go. And it's like, here she is like solving our like <laughs> dilemma of who's going to get to train when. And then we both look at each other and we're like, okay, this is silly. We should like press pause and <laughs> figure this out. And that's usually when we were like, okay, it's clearly like the nearing the end of summer when the kids are about to go back to, you know, have some preschool time to where I can be training, being a stay, stay at home mom. And now coach, I can, you know, work from home and be home. So that definitely helps during the year. But so yes, it evolves you know, and when it seems like it's getting to be too much and you kind of hit that like boiling point, And I know you all know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then that's usually when I say, Hey, I think I'm going to reach out and have your mom come a couple of times and keep the kids this week so that you can, you know, have dibs on the morning time. And I'll go during the, you know, mid morning after the kids are awake and, or, well, you know, whatever you kind of just bend and flex towards one another to try to preserve the relationship. And lots of times there's times that it's just like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to miss this group run because it's more important for him to go right. and be with the group. So trying to be, con- you know, and my husband, Matt has really taken a, the back burner with a lot of his training over the last few years, especially since the last Olympic trials. I mean, he gave me like a good, that whole year before the Olympic trials, he really kind of backed off on his goals in a concerted effort to allow me that the extra time to do what I felt like I needed to do to prepare. So that's huge. I mean, that's a huge sacrifice on his part. And I hope to be able to, you know, give him that time and space too. And I know like there was a time where you would take the early slot and then he would go to practice after work and you guys would work it out that way. Yeah. You guys are both so speedy. (laughs) Well, you might be the fastest couple in the U.S., I, you're oh. up there. I got it. Well, think. that would for sure be a fun thing to <laughs> to figure out, right? Yeah, that would be a fun competition. But, <laughs> you know, there are quite a few. I mean, I've already mentioned Steph, Bruce, Steph, and Ben, and I'm. There's quite a few. Ryan and Sarah Hall. I mean, goodness, there's yeah, a lot true. of married just, couples that run. So we probably. I don't even know if we'd make the top ten. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Ryan Hall. I don't think he really runs much, right? I mean, can he? He's so big. He's so. Yeah, I He's know so muscle. 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 Yeah. Now. Yeah. That would be a fun thing. Like we could plan a race based the on the fit, fittest couples. The fittest couples. Parents. Yeah. The fittest parents. Uh, absolutely. Yes. All right. So you are arguably one of the most mentally tough people in existence. No, I'm not going to say that, but <laughs> that I know <laughs> that I know like you are, you are obviously very talented with your running abilities, but you just have the, you have the capacity to just really dig deep and push back that point where like your brain is like, 
sounding alarm bells and telling you (laughs) to stop, you know? And I just like, I kind of want to get inside your brain when you reach that point and what Mm -hmm. you tell yourself to kind of turn that panic mode off and just keep digging even deeper. I mean, I think a lot of it just boils down to, and I'm sure there's some, you know, like psychology behind like nature nurture and like your, our upbringing and, you know, in our formative years, like who we're becoming and what we're doing as kids coping with the world and learning the world around us and our like family dynamics and all that stuff. But I mean, I just grew up with a dad that was like, you're not going to quit. Like you're going to aim high. And a lot of us did, you know, I mean, that's what our parents, at least, you know, in this, in our, you know, you share the same, I know your dad was very similar, especially being a military man. Like Mm -hmm. you're not going to quit. You're going to aim high, do your best and you're not going to give up. And so I think, that mentality is probably what fuels some of it, but I don't know. I just have always had this drive, but, uh, I think that I've always had this drive as soon as I started cross country of, I just, I want to be the best and to be the best. I've got to see what they're doing and do it. And in high school, I didn't want, like, I would get upset when I'd see other teammates, like cutting the cones or cutting the corners. And I just feel like, ah, Like they can't cheat. You have to do exactly what the coach says. And then it became like, well, I want to run with the guys team. And so there's just this like, you know, drive that we, I think that everyone, I mean, we wouldn't be out here doing what we do day in and day out and looking for a coach to tell us what to do and putting in all the miles early in the morning and juggling the kids and all of the, you know, stuff we do to be committed. But I think Maybe it's, it boils down to motivation. There's, we're motivated by different factors, right? Some people are motivated. Like my oldest daughter, she's very motivated by her peers. External things motivate her really strongly. My second daughter, she's motivated from within. Like she doesn't necessarily need to have a peer beside her to want to do a good job. She just wants to do a good job at what she does. As far as like competition, absolutely when there's like others around that are, you know, we're either training with or racing, there's an impact there and they help pull you along and help you do better. But I think that what really drives me is, okay, what pace am I running? Okay, let's see if I can just like nudge down a little bit more. And so it's like this battle within myself against myself, if that makes sense. And so when I'm in a workout, let's say like the coach says for, you know, a thousands workout, he's like, start it. 325. Well, the goal would be to start, you know, 324, 323, 325, you know, like be at where he is or a little bit faster. And then, you know, it's like, okay, that was 323. Now you need to do a 322. Like, and there's no negotiation. It's just kind of like, this is what I'm expecting out of myself, period. And so, okay, that was a 321. All right, now you need a 319. And so it's just this like continual, like mental talk of like, Okay, now you need a 317. Now 315. All right, get down. Last time you finished in 312, you need to finish in 312. Like, let's see if you can be better than 312. And so it's just kind of this like internal dialogue that like keep pushing, keep pushing. And I think it's this like at the end of the day, when I put my head on the pillow, did I go all the way? Did I give everything I could to be the best that I want to be? Because I really want to be my best. You know, like you thinking about your goal, like I want to run a two. 50 or a 245 or a 240 or a 230, or let me just see, can I get a little bit more out of my body? And I think that's the drive. I think for me, at least. 
So I get, I would think doing that on a regular basis is going to get you comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's an expectation of like, okay, this is going to hurt. And there's times where I feel like I might not handle it as mentally. Like this morning, for example, I was a little bit like, man, I just was, I mean, I felt tough, but not like as mentally tough as I've been in other times. And I'm sure there's a million things that go into that, like how well we slept and how well we ate and you know, what all's on our mind. And when the two point is 95%. (laughs) Yes, it was awful. But even there, like, that's a good challenge to just be like, okay, embrace the heat, embrace the humidity. These are the elements you're handed today. Like, yes, you have this big, huge monster workout in front of you, but don't feel sorry for yourself. Like just accomplish the mission. Here's what's been put in front of you. Like go and do it. So are you kind of like, in a way, emotionless, like just execute, like here it is, turn the brain off when you have negative thought, like you were just, okay, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to do it. Or do you rely on certain mantras or inspirations when you're digging deep and pushing Mm -hmm. harder? So I definitely would say no, not emotionless. There's definitely emotions that crop up in that there's that temptation to be like, gosh, I just want like... It's like kind of like a don't give in to the panicking, don't give in to the like, oh, I want to slow down or like, gosh, my legs are feeling so heavy. I'm not feeling great today. Like I do try to push those out. They're still there, but I think we like learn over time to sort of push those out. I had, I've been working some with a mental performance coach over the last several months. And one thing that he mentioned is, you know, emotions are going to come no matter what we do, like emotions aren't bad. Sometimes we think like, oh, if someone says, gosh, you seem dramatic. Like we take that as such a bad thing. Like it's not bad to have emotions. And, but, and so then he, we start further talking and he said, there's both positive and negative emotions and they're both going to come. And he said, when you have those negative emotions that come in, whether it's like doubt or fear or dread, I don't want to do this right now. I don't want to like, let's just minimize how much you focus on those and maximize the positive emotions. So gosh, it feels so exhilarating to be out here on the track and there's other people running around too. Like, I know you're hurting, but just try to hang in there and like get to the next lap. And once you hear get to the next lap and you hear your split, like you'll know where you're at and then you can adjust. And like that really fuels me to just continue the process of working hard, even if like the result is not it's just like not your day or you're like not performing the way you expected to you're off your paces or whatever. I really like to break it down. Like today on my final 5k, I was really struggling and I just kept like, okay, go to the yellow railroad track sign. Okay. Get to the blue sign. Okay. Just get to that next driveway. Okay. You've got like a half mile left. That's like three minutes. Just go three more minutes. Like just kind of breaking it down into small increments that are achievable in that moment instead of thinking like, oh, I have all this left plus my cool down and I'm so hot and I'm so tired and I just want to be done and this didn't go well and I guess I'm a horrible runner and why am I even <laughs> doing this? Like stopping all of that before yeah. it's too far down. Because if you allow that to get too far down, it's too hard to reel it back. So that, uh, I mean, I feel like that's just a great strategy in life. It's just like to stop you from spiraling, catastrophizing, and just being overtaken by those negative emotions. And then, I mean, that can lead to failure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. And there's that temptation inside all of us. I don't think anyone is immune 
to having those, having feelings, how we're feeling in the current moment drive our thoughts about ourselves or our decisions and, you know, certain like life choices that we make. But, and I don't even know that I've been like fully conscious of the fact that I do that during runs, but yeah, you're right, Whitney, I should apply that to my life sometimes and not (laughs) just make these like exhausted emotional decisions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it's very easy to get caught up in the moment. Okay. So before we wrap up, I do want to talk about age because you are a master's runner now, but you're still posting like, I mean, you're still getting faster and like you still have huge goals ahead of you. So have you had to change your training or like, does your age impact, like, has it impacted your, like, your mental fortitude at all or and how you approach each day? So, gosh, that's, there's a lot wrapped up in that. And I'll try to be, like, succinct. <laughs> Turning 40 was not as easy mentally. I don't know that I thought it was going to be easy. I mean, I knew it was coming. But you know, we run with these 20 somethings and Uh and I love that we've been able to keep up with them and they've been able to push us and we've been able to push them. And I love the thought that our running at our older age can transcend our own selves and we could actually have something to pass on to somebody else. And so like being an unofficial leader by example, by being tough, by hanging in there, even as they pass us and go on to do better things. And we even did like, that is awesome because at the end of the day, it's going to be about what kind of mark we left on others and our influence on others way more important than did I still run a sub five minute mile, which is cool. But (laughs) you know, the point is going to be what we're going to think about when we're 80 is gosh, I sure hope I made a difference in their lives. And wasn't that so fun being out on those roads all those days, training all those miles and workouts and races together with those fun people? Like that's what, you know, what I think is going to make a lasting impact. And so how now that I'm in this like later stage in my running career, getting the second chance, I call it for me, since I had a break in my twenties, I think that break really has allowed me to have some longevity in the Mm -hmm. sport. I think also staying consistent and working with the same coach for over a decade now and putting in all the miles consistently. And I mean, I didn't start at a hundred miles a week. You know, I started at like 40 miles a week and then went to 50 and then we went to 60 and 70 and 80, like through the years and through the training cycles, everything has kind of built on itself. And so now I feel like in one sense, I'm reaping some of the reward of having laid all that big foundation and groundwork down and, you know, staying consistent, even through setbacks and illnesses and injuries and all that stuff, medical issues and, you know, things like that. And now that we are in our later stages, so capitalizing on all of that training in the foundational years And then still trying to find ways to push ourselves and stay motivated because it is, I think all of that does become a challenge. The older we get, it's like, do I still have it? Will I still have it? Will I, you know, can I still come to bat? Can I still do this? And so I've had to overcome a lot of mental doubt, you know, like, can I still do this? And, but just continuing to show up and just put my best foot forward and try and set those big goals. Like, Hey, I do want to be at the next Olympic trials. I'm going to give it what I got. And if I come up short, like 
it's still going to be an awesome journey and an awesome ride. And it's going to be a lot more fun than if I just said like, well, okay, I'm about to be 43. I might as well not try again. Yeah. Having so many great examples of women about our age still, I mean, setting records and doing amazing things. I mean, if it certainly helps. Yeah. For Berta Groners out there doing it, like I can try, you know, and So, yeah, so I just, I think I'm super fortunate to be able to be in our age and still, still taking a a whack. I think that it is wise of us to be a lot more smart about training. I don't quite train as hard as I did even just a couple years ago. And while that's difficult to mentally come to terms with when you feel better physically and you're not like on the verge of overtraining, then you know, I think we can still get a lot out of our systems, even at a more mature age, but weight training has become more important. Cutting back a little bit on mileage has become important. Increasing protein intake has been super important and being mindful of sleep. Like I used to be able to be the 4am, you know, get up and go on a consistent basis. And now I'm just recognizing like I've got to have more sleep. And sometimes I just have to take a day off, even if I it says 10 to 12 miles on the schedule. And that's a pretty big chunk to miss in mileage per week. I just am like, Hey, my body's not feeling it. I have to take a day off. And just knowing like you're still as fit as you were with 10 miles less on your schedule. So even if the schedule doesn't look all beautiful and perfect, like you haven't lost a thing. So just take the day off rest and you're going to be able to come back at it and be even stronger the next day. So yeah, I think it, we still struggle with that knowing, even though you know that like it's going to serve you better to take the rest day, yeah. your legs will feel fresher, you'll hit the workout, but it's still like you have to have this long dialogue with yourself to talk over yourself the guilt into it. Over it. Yeah, yeah. And then just yeah. let it go. Just make the decision and move on. But that recovery, like when you recognize that taking the recovery actually means that you're going to be able to hit it harder next time. And if we have those chances to hit it harder, that's where our gains are going to come at our age. The -hmm. gains are not necessarily going to come by having easy mile after easy mile, like just logging base, you know, like mileage after mileage after mileage, like the greater gains for us are going to come from the ability of being rested enough to really get after it. Like force yourself, your legs to go to the speed that they're not used to naturally going to go at. Yeah. And I think it's like, important to know, like kind of like how, you know, every pregnancy is different. Every recovery is different. Like every training cycle is different. And what you need to excel at that phase in your life is going to be different than the next. And so if, you know, you run really high mileage, that may do well for one training cycle, but then the next training cycle, you may need something else. Drop down and then you can focus more, more on speed. And right. And if you study a lot of the other, you know, the, a lot of the philosophies, coaching philosophies that are out there, a lot of them will say that after about six or seven years of really putting in the mileage, like the benefits that come from that have kind of reached their peak. So mm-hmm. that's what, when I said, like, I feel like I'm able to capitalize now on what I've put in over the, the last decade. It's like, I've put in all that mileage. So now I've really got to focus on all the other things like speed workouts, weights, recovery, because yeah. the, ba- the base is already there. Like the capillaries have already been developed, you know, all the, the aerobic system has already been developed. So 
Yeah, absolutely. And you talking about just like kind of having it as your life mission to inspire others. I I know so many people, myself included, that have been that you're just such a great cheerleader for other people and inspiring other people and putting dreams in their heads that they would have never thought possible. So you live that very, very truly. Well, Um, that's such a compliment, but it's just so much, it's so dang fun to be able to just have a dream and have a goal (laughs) at our age and stage in life and bring a buddy along to do it too. And then, you know, all of us mamas just trying to get out there in between feeding babies and whatnot. And then you realize your kids grow up and they're watching you and then they want to have a dream. I mean, and then you're just like, gosh, this is too good to be true. Like now something that I love, now my kids are learning how to love their things and go after it. And that, I mean, it's just so cool. Well, you just put that so beautifully. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Gina, thank you so much for making the time to chat with me. And I hope you, can you please just like sit still or lay down for a little bit? Yes. I'm going to go for my kids. (laughs) Yes. I mean, 15 hard miles in like super hot, humid air. You need a little bit of rest. So yes, we're going to go eat some watermelon and take a nap. That sounds perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much. And I will Thanks, hopefully friend. see you later this week. Awesome. Thank okay. you so much. Gina, thank you so much. And thank you all for listening to The Passionate Runner. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at runnerclick.com slash podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you are enjoying the content, and getting value from the episodes, please leave a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash The Passionate Runner. We will be sure to read these out on the future episodes. Talk to you next time.